right, good morning, everyone. As always, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be uh, speaking to you guys this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 145. A couple of years ago, in 2009, I went on a missions trip to, to, to Europe. And one of the places we went to, we went to Paris, France. And you can't go to Paris without going to see what? The Eiffel Tower. So as I was, um, I was walking down the block, and to the left was the Eiffel Tower, and there was a building on my left. And I knew when I hit that corner, I was going to see the Eiffel Tower. So as I'm walking, I'm getting closer to the corner. And one thing about me, to be honest, like I'm not really blown away when I meet famous people. You know, I, I see them, I can say hi to them, or if I see things, I'm not, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I get excited, but it doesn't, you know, you, some, you know, people like pass out at concerts and stuff like that. You know, that's never happened to me, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so as I'm getting to the corner, for some reason, this joyful anxiety, if that makes sense, started just bubbling up inside of me. And I remember turning that corner and just being like, and I saw the Eiffel Tower, and it was beautiful. And I have, you know, I had seen it so many times in movies and so many times in, in videos and, you know, in pictures. I've seen it. But when I saw it for the first time, I was just blown away, and I just wanted to, like, run to it and hug it, you know? <laughs> but anyway, so I, you know, I, I, we, you know so it's a, um, it was pretty far away, you know, I can still see it, but I just started going closer and closer to it. And as, as I was getting closer to it, I started just... Just seeing different things about it that I had never seen before. Before, it just looked like a triangle, you know. But now I'm looking at it live, and I'm seeing that has, like, two crowns on it. And it has all these, like, uh, pieces of metal that are crossing that I guess they're both for the structure. And also, it's is beautiful. I'm looking at it at, it, at its architecture. I'm looking at it, it has, like, this beautiful curve that comes down like this. And I'm just admiring this. I'm looking at the design. And I'm thinking about, man, how did they make this? So long ago, I'm looking at its perfect symmetry, and I'm just blown away by it. I'm just staring at it. And then I went under it, and that's like one of the, it's like an awesome view to go under it. You're just under it. You're just looking at it, and like I said, the perfect symmetry. And, you know, as they were waiting in line buying tickets, they had a lot of gypsies over there just coming around asking for money. And, and inside my mind, I'm just like, leave me alone. I'm at the Eiffel Tower. I don't want to talk to you right now, you know? <laughs> And, and I see the, the guards there and the people that were working at the concession stands. And I'm like, they, they're not even looking at it anymore. You know, it's like they've been there. They go there every day. And they have sort of, it's become common to them. When I'm over here blown away by this and I'm standing there staring at it and in awe of it, I'm looking at it. Okay, just to get this, I'm from New York, so I say awe. So <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember at Christ of the Nation the first time I, I led worship, I, I sang, uh, uh, Oh, Praise Him. And everybody started laughing when it said the sounds of angels awe. So I say awe, you guys would say ah. Anyway, so, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at this thing and, and, and I'm seeing everybody around that works there. They're not even looking at it anymore. I'm like, do you guys know that we're at the Eiffel Tower? You know, but like I said, it's become common to them. It's become every day and they have lost their awe of this beautiful structure. And I fear that the same thing happens to us as God's people. You know, uh, you know uh, Keith sang a song that mentioned about our first love. When we first came to Christ, think about that. You think about the realization of, of us being sinners and the fact that Jesus loved us before when we were unlovable and died for us. And just that itself made us, it just, we were just blown away by that. And our lives, you know, we, 
we just loved him so much at that time. And but just like everything, we tend to things become common and we just lose our sense of awe. So, you know, I look at, you know, the fact that these gypsies were probably there. Just they weren't even paying attention. They said, ha, I have an opportunity to use this to get something out of it. You know, so people were there for different reasons. We were there to bask in the glory of this creation. <laughs> anyway, so I think that what has happened, you know, as we talk about losing our sense of awe, is that in our society, we have sort of uh, caricaturized Jesus, you know. And if, you, if you've ever gone to get your, your picture drawn, like I'm, I was going to say in Times Square, but you guys probably have never been there. But anyway, you go in some places that there are people drawing, and, and they start looking at certain things about your face, and they make them bigger, right? You know, if, you, if your ears are a little bit big, your ears are going to be really big in the picture. If you have a big chin, they're going to extend it a little bit more. And that's what they tend to do. And, and, what, and what we have done with Jesus is that we have done that. We have not taken a full view of who he is. But in society, we have elevated just one aspect of his character, and that's his love. And he is love, but God is also a consuming fire. God is also a righteous judge. And him, all of these parts of his character will make him completely who he is. But like I said, when you elevate one part of his character, it's not Jesus anymore. It might resemble him, but it's not him anymore. And I think, you know, we have this attitude toward Jesus. You know, I know in the early 2000s, there was like this T-shirt that came out, Jesus is my homeboy, you know. And we have sort of made this buddy Jesus. I remember watching a movie, one of the Jesus movies, and, and he was rebuking the Pharisees. And he said, you brood of vipers. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't think it was like that. There was probably more fire, more passion, anger there at their lies, how they misrepresented God. So anyway, we tend to do that, and we tend to minimize who Jesus is. We have made this buddy Jesus, and it's not the Jesus that we saw in Revelation 19. When he had fire coming out of his eyes, and he had blood on his robe, and a sword coming out of his mouth, and on his robe and on his thigh it said, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus also. So we have, like I said, we have minimized who Jesus is, and because of that, I think he has become too common for us. We have not looked at all that he is. We have just looked at parts of that. Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he loves us, but he's also a consuming fire. He's also the one that created the world. He's also the one that sustains the world and everything in it. And he is also a righteous judge. So we cannot look at God as casual, even though he does invite us. You know, I think about, you know, my mom, right? I, I have always had a you know, pretty good relationship with my parents. I used to joke around with them. And since I'm a clown, I, you know, one of the hardest things to do when you're young is to find out when you have crossed the line, you know? So I would joke around and, you know, this, especially when there's people around, you know, looking for attention, I guess. So I'm making jokes and stuff. And my mother, her face would change all of a sudden. She'd be like, she started looking at me with the side of her eye. She goes, Kevin. Cuidado. Watch out. I'm not one of your little friends, she used to tell me, you know. And it's like, you know, with parents, it's the same thing. We have a respect for them, but we also have a relationship with them. And these things, it doesn't make them uneven. They are both that, you know. We should have that respect for them and also have an intimacy with them. And it's the same thing with God. So as we're reading Psalm 145, I think that when we look at David, we have, we have a man who had a pretty good grasp of the character of God. And I look at the fact that David wrote so many songs, 
And he was so passionate about God. He sung to God. He wrote songs to God. He lived for God. And, and I, won, I was thinking about it. I was like, so David was a man that was in awe of God. He understood who he was. Now, did he write so many songs and sing so much because he was in awe of God? Or was he in awe of God because he wrote so many songs and sang to him so much? And I think the right answer for that is probably yes. I'm sure that is both of those. So um, we're looking at, at, at a man that had not forgotten who God was, and we see that in his songs. So what's, uh, some information about Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is the last psalm in the book of Psalms that's attributed to David. And according to Jewish tradition, this was the only psalm that was read three times a day. They used to read it twice in the afternoon and once in the evening. And it was written as an acrostic. So basically, the first letter of every word of each, um, each verse was the next letter of the alphabet. So if I'm writing one in English, I'm writing a poem, I would say um, apples are red, blueberries are blue, Cats are not as good as dogs. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. You know, then dog, you know, so, so you get the point I'm saying. You know, we, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, so you get the point. So, so the first letter of every verse was starting with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And um, for you guys that want to be technical, there's one letter that's missing is the letter Nun because there's 22 letters, but there's only 21 verses. Anyway, so acrostics were used as, as a technique for memorization. So they wanted the Hebrew children and the, pe- the Hebrew people to remember this psalm. Why? Was it so that they can sing it? Yes, but why do they want to sing it? Because this psalm is so packed with so much truth about the character of God. And the thing is that it is impossible for us to truly be able to praise God and to worship him if we don't know who he is. And that's... If, there, if there's one point that you want to walk away with today, I want you to walk away with that one. How can we praise and worship God, which are things that God commands us to do if we don't know who he is? And we see, as our example, David knew who God was. So we see that um, there are, um, what, and I'm not sure if some of you are aware of this, but there are about seven words just in the book of Psalms that are translated to the word English praise. So the seven Hebrew words that are translated to praise. And all of these words are words that are words of celebration, words of boasting, of singing, of rejoicing, of shouting. All of these words mean those. And um, one of these words is the word halal, which halal means to act clamorously foolish. So it's about being overjoyed. You know, when you're, enjoy, when, you're, when you're joyful about something, you rejoice in that and you might act a little silly. That's what halal means. And that's where we get the word hallelujah, which is halal to Yah or Yahweh, which is the Lord. So it means praise the Lord. So when we say hallelujah, I mean, one thing that happens, I think that we sing a lot of songs and there's, there's some words in it. We might not even understand what they mean. You know, I challenge you. You don't know what a word means? Get up. You know, we have Internet these days. Everybody has access. So, the, well, my, mother, my mother's coming here. She missed what I said about her. I'll tell her later. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, um, that's my mom, everyone. <laughs> so, um, when we talk about praise, biblical praise is celebratory. And one thing that I want to point out is that we as Christians use the Bible to teach us how to live our lives. Sometimes we find it hard to use the book of Psalms to teach us how to praise God. When all these words are celebratory, and, and I say this not as a rebuke, but as an encouragement. Do we celebrate Jesus 
When we come together as God's people, do we celebrate Jesus? Is this, is, are, are we coming at a place where, we want, where we're looking at who he is and what he's done and what it means to us? Do we celebrate Jesus? And sometimes it doesn't look like we're celebrating Jesus. And, and like I said, I want to encourage you. I'm not rebuking you. I want to encourage you. Do we celebrate Jesus? Do we give him the praise that he is worthy of? Because a great God deserves a great praise. Amen. So uh, Psalm 145, we're going to break this up into five parts. Uh, in the first part, which is one to seven, David is praising God for his fame and his glory. Part, in the second part, he's praising God because of his goodness. In the third part, he's praising God because of his kingdom. The fourth part, he's praising God because of his providence. And the last part, he's praising God because of his grace and mercy. And I forgot to click that. So you can read that real quick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just said it. So, All right. So let's go to uh, verse one. It says, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So the word extol means to lift up, to bring up, to hold up. So as we are praising him or praising him or extolling him, we are lifting up the name of Jesus. And David here is praising him as not only of his God, but as his king. The great king of Israel recognized that there was a king that was greater than he was, which was a big deal for kings because kings back there, they thought that they were gods. So God, David's saying, I, 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 I too am under another king that's greater than I am. And that is the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that we know. And he also said, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless and praise your name forever and ever. David was making a declaration to God there that saying, for better or for worse, no matter what the, days, the day looks like, I am going to bless your name. And this is a man that, this, is, this wasn't just him being emotional. He was making a commitment to this, that no matter what, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. Why? Because he knew who God was, and he knew that he was worthy of the best praise and the best worship that we can give him. This is true devotion, going to say, I'm going to do that. And we know, if we read the rest of the Psalms, that David struggled through that, just like all of us do, right? We struggle through that when we go through tough times. But at the end of the day, him knowing who God was is what brought him from the place of being confused to the place of being truth. That he knew that he can stand on the truth on who God was and he was going to praise him for that. And there's one, 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 one time I had read a, a statement that somebody said. It says that praise is the ultimate form of faith. Because you're looking and declaring who God is in the middle of your situation. Because your situation might change, but God doesn't. As, as Keith spoke to uh, uh, spoke about earlier, he said, God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow and forever. He will be. And also um, these verses talks about praising the name of the Lord. When we praise the name of the Lord, we are praising his character. You know, when we were having the baby dedications. One of the reasons uh, we didn't speak about this, but but Keith was talking about the names of, of the children. And when, when you name your child, you, you, you know, I mean. Like you, you look at you look at certain names and you, you don't want to name your your child and, and, and I don't want to say curse them. But it's like, you know, give them a name that that's insulting. You want to you want to hopefully be able to to give them a name that they can aspire to. Right. 
So names are really important, especially in the Hebrew tradition. Names were really important for them. So when they talk about the name of God, there are several names in the Bible. God has several names in the Bible. And all of these names, they point to his character. So when we praise God, we are praising him for who he is, basically. And verse 3 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And we need to give God a praise, like I said, that's fitting for a great king. So God is so great that it's, it's, it's even as we get to know more and more about him and grow in knowing him, we realize how much we don't know. And, and the thing is that when we get to know him, it, it, it causes our heart to burn passionately to know him more. So as we grow in knowing our God, we want to know him more. And in these verses, David referred to him as God, as king, and as Lord, as the creator, as the ruler of all, and as the one that he serves. He is the Lord, and we serve him, and he becomes the owner and the master of our life. That's when we call him Lord. So God is to be praised because of his name, because of his attributes, because of his activities or his works. And he is God, and there's no one like him, and no one can compare to him. God's greatness is unfathomable, but we continue to search more and more and want to know him more and grow in understanding who he is. And we might not understand everything that he does, but we can trust his heart. And David was able to say that because he knew him. Verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. One of the reasons why David wrote these songs, one of them was for his praise to God, but is also to make God known. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another and for the and again for the for the for the Hebrew in the Hebrew tradition it was very important for them to teach their kids you know right now we have books we have internet it wasn't like that back then they did have scroll the scrolls and 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 you know the old testament and stuff the book of the law but a lot of what they did was they wrote songs about what God did and if you see if you read the, through the psalms you'll see there are songs that glorify God and praise him for the fact that he delivered them from pharaoh and, and, and all these stories of God's, uh, uh, God doing all these great acts and all these wonderful things for the people. And what I think that we, like, thank, being thankful is one of, is like the, the foundation of praising God and the foundation of worshiping Him. Because you are thankful when someone does something for you that you value. You know, if someone gives you a spider, you'll be like, you might not say thank you, you know? <laughs> but if someone holds the door for you or gives you a gift, what do you say? You say, thank you. What you're expressing is that you are valuing what they did for you. But what happens when someone continuously does the same kind of good actions towards you? You are no longer looking at their actions. Now you're starting to see their character. You're starting to see who they are. So thanksgiving becomes a response to God's actions. Praise becomes a response to God's character. When we see who he is and we start to celebrate who he is and even declare back to him who he is, this is what we're doing when we're praising him. We are valuing what he does, seeing what he does consistently, and recognizing what he does for us. And recognizing who he is. So we can't forget about that. In order for us to continue to have a sense of awe, we need to continuously look at what God does. And not only in our lives, but we see like we have a whole book of God 
glorifying himself in the lives of all these people that we haven't known, but we read in, in the Bible. And also, another way is for us to glorify God with each other. You know, that's when we give some time for testimonies and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's awesome if someone has, has you know, taken someone in, in a, out of a tough situation or provided something where they didn't have it. We see God and we need to remember those times because the same God that did that for them is the same God that would do it for you when it's that time. You know, so as we commend and we share his works, just like David did with this within this psalm, talking about his great works and, and, and commending him for his works, we need to do the same thing with each other. You understand that? So we need to, uh, anyway, praise God together by sharing what God has done in our lives. And as far as losing our sense of awe, uh, Paul Tripp, he says that we are all amnesiacs. And he said that, um, Paul Tripp said, You can argue that every element of the gathering to worship, to, the, to worship of God's people is intended to give people their awe back. We need a moment to refocus on the grandeur of God's glory and grace again. We have to see his awesome wisdom and power again. We need to dwell on his patience and faithfulness again. We need to be stunned by the perfection of his holiness and the righteousness of his judgments again. We need to be encouraged by the awesome truth of his constant presence again. We need to be reminded to rest in his amazing sovereignty again. And we need to be blown away by the reality that by grace he is all these things for us. And this is what we do as God's people, when we get together, whether someone's teaching, whether someone's leading a prayer, whether someone's re- leading worship, our goal is that we can recapture everyone's heart with the awe of God. As we continue to teach who he is, and even the songs that we sing, that's why a lot of the songs we sing, we sing about the character of God. You know, the, the way I, I like to put it is that, you know, there, there's a, uh, we, we're trying to paint a picture of, of a certain aspect of God's character. And we use this, and as a worship leader, I use the songs to do that. And I want to paint this beautiful picture to us. I want to get your attention and point that way so you can look at him so that you can be in awe of who he is. And also through the song, teach you how to properly respond to who God is. That's what we do here. So as we say, you know, maybe, I know sometimes we just get used to, like I said, you know, the everyday motion. But as we come in here, think about the songs that we're singing. If you pay attention, you will see usually a constant theme through there. And it usually goes together with the message. So think about that. When you come, let's, let's engage God with our minds also. We want to engage him with all that we are. We want to engage him with our heart. Because these songs, when we sing about how great God is... I don't, I don't know how anybody cannot be moved by that. Our hearts should be moved by this truth that in everything that we're singing about, he is, he, has, he is all these things for us. He is all these things for us. And this should at least cause us to smile. I know that within, uh, you know, and like I get, again, I'm, I'm trying to encourage us, you know. I know within certain traditions and church traditions, we tend not to be as engaging but I challenge you, if you read the book of Psalms, those Psalms were engaging. 
we engaged God and we celebrated him and we were joyful. And I say we because I'm saying as God's people, we were joyful in the presence of God. As we were looking at God, we rejoiced. If, if Jesus was right here, would we act the same way? And I have something to say to you. Jesus is right here. He is right here. We might not see him, but he is. So let's let's think about that as we um, as we sing to the Lord, as we know who he is. We sing songs that are biblically accurate. We're not again, not caricaturizing Jesus. We're not drawing cartoons here. We want to draw pictures, you know, with the example of saying about about with the, with the songs of who God really is, because we don't want to teach something that's not true, because then if it's not true, there's no value to it. So anyway, so as we do that, we do this so that we can remember who he is week after week. And so we can know him better so our minds can be informed and our hearts can be enlarged and set ablaze for Jesus. What you are in awe of, you, what you are in awe of, you will be passionate about. So ask yourself, what am I passionate about? Am I passionate about God? And if not then what can I do to get my awe back or to grow in my awe? We want the truth of who God is to be engraved in our minds and in our hearts. And we want to respond accordingly. Um, one of the, the, the things that um, in 1996, I went to a, a restaurant. And it happened to be that the Yankees were having the last game. I don't remember if it was game seven. But it was the last game of whatever World Series it was where they won that championship. I'm not even a Yankee fan. I'm a Met fan. <laughs> so we're there, and during the last inning, when it looks like it was time that the game was winding down, everybody just crowded around the bar where the TV was. And when they're watching the game, and I'm sorry if this doesn't do the same thing for girls, but anyway, <laughs> but we're watching, you know, we're watching this, and the Yankees won, man, and I'm, we're celebrating, high-fiving, hugging these drunk people, you know, and, and you know, these people that are there, you know, and some of them probably had a little bit too much to drink. We're, I don't know these guys. And we're celebrating. And I, t- I remember taking a step back and just looking at this. And I'm like, man, nobody taught them how to do this. This is something that it's an overflow of joy. They, there's a victory on the TV screen that means absolutely nothing to them except that they get to go to a parade in two days, you know. And I don't want to say that in front of my wife because she gets, makes fun of me when my team loses and I'm so upset. But anyway... You guys just don't understand if you don't watch sports. But anyway, but anyway, but so the thing is that this victory that meant nothing for them, they are so excited about. And we're singing about a victory that means everything to us. And sometimes we are not as excited about that. Anyway, so let me go back to my teaching here. Get off my soapbox. Now. Um, so we want our minds to be informed so that our hearts can be enlarged for God and set ablaze to be passionate about God. And, you know, talking about that, that, that pouring out in verse 7, it says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Like I said, the overflow. You know, we need to fill our awe banks with more and more of God, and that will overflow and, and flow into the rest of our lives. It would, uh, it would cause us to live differently, to pay attention to things differently, to love God differently, to love people differently. And will cause us to celebrate all that he is. So in these verses, uh, it says to sing joyfully of his righteousness. It says to sing of his kingship, of the greatness of his name, of his works and deeds, 
his majesty, his power, and his righteousness. And when speaking of, about the works of God, uh, David called his works mighty. He called his works glorious. He called his works wonderful. He called them awesome. He called them great. He called them abundant. And David also had a heart of appreciation. He communicated with God. He was meditating on what God has done. He was celebrating and proclaiming who God is. I could just stop there with those verses, but we'll continue. So anyway, so in, in the second part, it says that David praised God for his goodness. Verse 8 said, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. So David uh, praises God for his gracious mercy. God, although he's all-powerful and he is the creator of everything, he is not a tyrant. God is loving. Yes, we should fear him. Yes, should we have respect for him. But he is also a loving, caring, compassionate, and patient God. He will deal with our sin but he, will, he, has, he also loves us and give us a, gives us a chance for us to come to him in repentance. So, like I said earlier, there are different, different facets, facets of God's character. And none of them uh, go against each other. But he has all these things together. God is righteous judge. And he is all powerful. But he is also still loving. And all these things work together. He, doesn't, he, he is not righteous at the expense of his mercy. And he is not merciful at the, at the expense of his righteousness. All, every single character that God is, God is the fullness of that. He is the fullness of love, the fullness of righteousness, and the fullness of power. And he is good to all, even in the middle of this. He is great big, but he is also loving and caring. You know, I think about in the book of Revelation, uh, in, uh, John says that Jesus had seven stars in his hand. And John fell at his face and with that, with, in his right hand. And with that same right hand, Jesus puts that same right hand on John. And I see that. Look at that. The power and then the care in that same hand. That's God for us. Uh, part three says, and uh, it says that uh, David praised God for his kingdom. Verse 11 says, they shall speak to the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and, your and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind is all in all of his works. Those who bless God from their heart rejoice to see him enthroned, glorified and magnified in power. Those of us that follow God and live for him, we love to see him as our king. He has done many mighty deeds throughout the history of his people, and he continues to do so. Why? Because he has declared as the king of the universe from the beginning of the word to the end of it. And, we, and, and, and just think about it. You know, David declaring his as the eternal king. During his time, they had kingdoms, and kingdoms will rise and take powers, and kingdoms will fall, and kingdoms will rise. But David's saying, this kingdom is forever. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, we might not think about it. You know, we don't think of kings. It might not have the same, power, uh, the same uh, weight to us. But think about what David's saying here. This God was forever, and he will be forever. 
and he is the king of everything. He has the everlasting kingdom. And to understand this should give us peace that our good God, our sovereign God that is rules over everything is our God and cares for us. And all these different parts of his character, all uh, he is all these things for us. He is, and, and, and this affects everything that, that, that we look at. So it's talking about speaking of, of his kingdom, about making known the children uh, to the children of man and his everlasting kingdom. We know that he is the only king forever. And this world, and he rules this world, and he reigns over all. The next part talks about uh, he, uh, David uh, praises God because of his providence or his protective care. Uh, verse 14 says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And we see like a sudden contrast. We're just talking about he's the king. He reigns. And then all of a sudden that he upholds all who are falling. Again, we see different facets of God's character here. David had a complete understanding of who God was. So he can be both the great creator that spoke to the world into existence and also our provider. He can be the rule of the world and also one that, the one that makes sure that I am taken care of. He can be righteous judge and he can also be the gracious, merciful lover of my soul. He cares for the broken. He cares for the helpless, for the hopeless, for the downtrodden. And whether you have been there before are you, or you're there now or will be one day in the future, we can, we can hold on to this truth that God cares for us in our situation. And if you are in that situation right now, just know that he sees you and he hears you. Our great God, the great God that created the world, cares about you and you and each, every individual that's here. And that's something that great, that's great. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close. No, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a click earlier. Okay, yeah. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God cares and he provides. 15 says, The eyes of, the, the eyes of all look to you and you give them food in their due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. God is enough and he provides for everyone. And if you really think about it, God has provided everything that we need physically with the earth. All the natural resources that we have, just think about that. I I didn't even think about it until the other day. He provided everything that we need with this earth. This earth was almost, it's a gift for us. So you people that want to go green, yeah, keep going green. Let's take care of it. God has given us a gift, you know. So um, like I said, he's given everything. Even the animals are fed. The, the, tree, the trees have air. You know, everything is taken care of here. And then the last part, God pray, uh, David praises God for his saving, sorry, for his saving mercy. The Lord, 17 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. His ways and his works are both reasons to praise him. God's ways are perfect and just. And like I said earlier, he, he doesn't, he doesn't have, he, he's not, he's not merciful 
at the expense of his righteousness. And he's not righteous at the expense of his mercy. But we see his righteousness magnified by him sending his son to die for us. And we see his love, his mercy, and his grace magnified by Jesus dying for us. Jesus came. He became like us. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live on our behalf. And he died the death that we all deserve on our behalf. So that he can bring us back to our Father. So that he can give us his righteousness, his peace, his care, his life. So that we can be restored to our Father. Because we were fallen and we were separated from God. But through, through the righteousness of Christ that he has given us, now we can be reunited with our Father. That's his saving mercy right there. And when we think about you know, whether God's, God's ways are perfect, him sending Jesus to die for a part of his ways. So they are beautiful in all that he does. So he's with us in, in times of trouble. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Verse uh, 19 says, he, fulfill, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. So God is close to those who call out his name and fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Charles Spurgeon said, a holy heart only desires what a holy, what a holy God can give. And his desire is filled full out of the fullness of the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about if we delight ourselves in the Lord, that he will give us the desires of our heart. When we delight in him, the desires of our heart are the desires that he has for us. So a holy heart only wants what a holy God can give. Verse 20 says, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He keeps us. We call out to him. We fear him and we love him. And the righteous God saves us because of his grace and his mercy. But those that don't come to him eventually will be destroyed. And that's what the Bible says here. So we don't only praise him for what he's done. We don't only praise him for who he is. We praise him because he is our savior. That's the greatest reason to praise him. At verse, 20, verse 21, David finishes with, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let his flesh bless his, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So we will not keep silent. We'll continue to sing of his greatness and declare to everyone that every generation will know who God is. So, so David in, these, in this psalm, he praises God. For his fame and his glory, he praised him for his goodness, for his kingdom, for his providence, and for his saving mercy. We know by reading this psalm and all the other psalms that David was a man that was in awe of God. And like I said earlier, was he in awe of God because he wrote all these songs and sang to him all the time? Or did he sing to him all the time and write these songs because he was in awe of God? And I dare say yes, both of these. We might not be songwriters, but one of the things, you know, as we were talking about our time of, of praise and worship together, when we worship together, it unites our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. And we use those at the same time to praise and to glorify God. And this has a special effect, I believe, on us. I know that during the toughest times of my life, times where, where you know, where, where, I, where I've lost someone or I've gotten to a tough thing, what has overflowed out of my heart are the songs that I've been singing for years about God. You know, I remember, you know, my, my best friend, he had, he had a, his, his wife had, had, had lost a baby when they were about four months old. 
And that was tough. You know, it was like she was like my niece. And I just these songs, you know, all the early Jeremy Cam songs of, you know, you know, talking about, you know, I will walk by faith even when I can't see. I still believe in your faithfulness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, talking about whether whether we're on top of the mountain or we're at the bottom of the valley, I will bless the name of the Lord. These I wasn't thinking about them, but because my heart was already conditioned by the truth. By the truth of the word that are in these songs, they just oozed out of my heart when the time when I had the most pain in my life. And also when, when I've experienced God and seen his, his perfect love that casts all, all peace, uh, all fear. I remember that, you know, when my daughter was born, you know, two months early and we didn't know, you know, the doctor said she had a 70 percent chance of making it. And I always say, man, if I'm shooting 70% from the field, that's great. If I'm batting 700, that's awesome. But you give me 70% chance that my daughter's going to make it, those aren't good odds for me. And I remember that time and just, you know, being able to, to just be on my knees and just put her into God's hands and say, Lord, whatever you do, it is well with my soul. Why? A couple of days before, I was, I was, I was sitting down. I was looking at the words of the song, it is well. And I was just, you know, meditating on them. You know, so at that moment, what came out of me was the, the song of truth. How do I respond when I know that stuff is, is tough and I don't understand what's going on? I might not understand what's going on, but I can trust in his character. And I said, Lord, you are good. And it, whatever you choose to do, it is well with my soul. And I got, we got to experience, like I said, his perfect love. During that time. And I remember going back to Christ for the nation. We were in Christ for Nations at the time. And the first time, the first time I went back to school after missing like two weeks, they sang a song called Perfect Love. And I was just bawling because I never understood what that verse meant. So there, has been, there have been times that my, 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 the songs that I've sang have inspired my life of worship. And there has been times that my life of worship has inspired me to sing. And I think that that's the way it should be. We, you know, when we talk about worship, we're not talking about singing. Worship is, is a worshiper is, is, has a heart where God sits on the throne. The word worship means to ascribe worth. So the thing that you, that you value the most in your life is what you worship. What, we're, what we do up here is just an expression of that. And, I'm, you know, I'm not minimizing it, but I think that there's a, a, a we separate the life of worship from the expression of worship when they shouldn't be. It's almost like if you say, what's love? Love is a hug. No, it's not a hug. But a love, but a hug is an appropriate way of showing love. So when there, anyway, so with the heart of worship, without the expression of worship, I think that there's something missing there. So anyway, so I, you know, I was thinking to myself, how can I grow in my awe of God? And I came across this article. I, w- I would love to give credit to the person that wrote it, but it was a little confusing. The person was quoting John Piper. So I don't know if this guy named Mike uh, wrote this or John Piper did, but either way, it was good stuff. He said, Hebrews 1.3, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is what the article said. So beholding is allowing the eyes of our heart to be enlightened and focused on who Jesus is and what he has done. Beholding God happens when we learn about Jesus through reading the scriptures, through corporate worship and Bible study. And as we sing about Jesus, 
As we pray to Jesus by claiming his promises and drawing near to him with full assurance because of the cross. And as we fellowship together through reminding each other of the gospel in community. God's word is breathed out in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 by him and is profitable to us. I think there is a massive link between beholding God with an unveiled heart and reading God's word and it and it delighting our hearts. Anyway, so one thing I, I forgot to say when I was thinking about the growing in awe, I was thinking about the word behold. And the word behold means to stare at something, to look at it in awe, something that's great. So, you know, we think about it. And I think, like I said, sometimes we say things during worship that I'm not sure if everybody gets it. And I was thinking about I say a lot, Lord, I pray that you may help us to see you. And I don't know if anybody here will be like, I don't see Jesus. But what I'm talking about here is that he, op- that he would open the eyes of our heart to see who he is. Now, the word of God is the revelation of God. He has revealed himself to us through his word. So the word of God is important. So just uh, things I put things, things that we can use to fill up our all banks. Number one, reading the scripture. We know God, who he is through his word. And I'm not saying to just check it off the list as, oh, I did my Bible reading today. It's about getting into that and, 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 and meditating on this truth. Taking time to think about it, not just going through it, just, you know, I know sometimes I, I, I read and I'm thinking about something else and I have to go back and read it again. God is worth us doing that, right? He, you know, and, and since he has given us the word to give us one of the greatest ways that he reveals himself to us, if we are not in the word, then we will not grow in our relationship with God. That's just reality. Not out of like a, like not out of a religious practice, but out of desire to get to know God. You know, and, and, and I'm, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be one that there's times I'm in it a lot and there's times I'm not. And I have to constantly be checking my heart, you know, and, and dealing with the condemnation. I should be in the word, you know, and getting past that and saying, no, God, I'm going to run after you. I'm going to set aside time for you because if I don't set aside time, my life is busy. You know, if I don't get, you know, the most important things in there, then I'm going to end up um, ignoring them. So another thing is giving attention to the gospel. We do this through being the word, but just thinking about the fact that even though we were sinners and we did not deserve salvation, Christ died for us. We talk about the fact that that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live on our behalf and died the death that we all deserve on our behalf. This is the good news of the gospel, that it's not about what you did. Christianity is not about the Christian, it's about the Christ. It's about what he did for us and looking at that. And, and second, uh, second Corinthians uh, 3.18, it says that we all will unveil faces uh, come and, and behold his beauty and are being transformed to that same image. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to behold him. So, you know, the, the, the veil has been torn and we have full access to God and God reveals himself to us. And one way that he does that we see the fullness of God's character, his power, his righteousness, and his love all collide at the cross. So what Jesus did for us is the greatest example of the character of God. We see everything there. So another thing as we've been speaking about, worshiping together. Let's take it a little more serious. 
Let's take it a little more serious. Let's think about the words that we're singing. Let's not just mouth, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes we could, we could be thinking about stuff and just be mouthing stuff. Let's come and let's engage our minds and our hearts and our bodies with God. Let's think about the songs that we're singing and what they mean to us. What does it mean that God is the lion and the lamb? What does that mean? What does that mean to me? And looking at how do I respond properly to this revelation of who God is. I guarantee if we change our mentality, take it a little more serious, our lives will be transformed. That's just reality. Why is it that, that, that songs were written in a way for them to memorize it? Like I said, it wasn't just to sing it. It was so they can recognize the truth that these songs declare. So worshiping together, praying together. I mean, I'm praying to God, taking time to unite your heart to his, coming before him and bowing before him, recognizing that he is God and making your needs made known to him and knowing that he will care for you and that he loves you. And also a gospel centered community, having a place where we can be real with each other, where we can be family, where we can care for each other and have real fellowship. And this is the goal. This is what we are going for at CCI Garland, you know, knowing Jesus loving people, and impacting your world. David impacted his world by his songs. We want to impact the world by the way that we lift up Jesus. Let us lift him up so the whole world can see him.